Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Grillin' JR with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. Jim, how are you, man? I'm good, Connie. I'm good. I've had a little issue with my foot this week. Uh, it's healing, but it's when that old skin scabs away, sorry to be so blunt, and uh, the new skin appears, it's uh, really sensitive. So it's sensitive to cold, it's sensitive to heat, touch. It's just, uh, I am the one-legged man in an ass kicking contest. I ain't got a chance. <laughs> so anyway, it's, uh, the doctor said it was doing as well as they ever wanted. So I'm healing on the right track. And she said, it's just not going to be, the pain's not over yet. So but I have medication for that. If I need it, it's taking good care of me there to pain management. It's a whole different deal than what it used to be. You know, we went through this period of time where you, if you got pain medicine from your doctor, you were frowned upon or we'll say, Hey, what's really going on here? Did you try buffering? <laughs> you know, I didn't try buffering. So, uh, anyway, now it's a different ball game and the hell I'm 70 years old. I don't, I don't, I don't plan on developing any drug habits that I don't already have, uh, <laughs> anytime soon. So anyway. Uh, it's all really good. I want to work. I haven't missed any work and that's, I, I take pride in that statement. So anyway, all good, man. I'm still calling wrestling on Wednesday nights on T TBS loving every damn minute of it. Well, we are, uh, so excited to be talking about our topic today. It's the man called sting. And golly, man, what's, what's new is old again, or what's old is new again. You know how it goes. There yeah. just is sting is still in ring and you're still working with him all these years later. We're going to talk about maybe the most important year of his career, 1990 today. Can you believe that it's been 32 years since sting won the world title? God, it feels like, oh. I don't know, 15 years ago, not 32 goodness. The typical pro wrestler answer or former pro wrestler answer the, oh yeah, 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 I got, it. I remember he was wearing a plaid shirt and Nikes. No, I don't remember shit. Uh, I remember it happening. I think I called that match. I think. Yeah, you did. And, uh, when a few hear me say that, I don't want anybody to misunderstand. I do care. 
It's just, I, I've called so many epic matches. Thanks to the talent now, not me. Thanks to the talent that man, they cluttered up. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I remember that. So, but I do remember the date. I thought it might be past. I thought it was probably uh, overdue. Should have happened earlier. Uh, you gotta have instincts to tap tag in somebody that's hot. And he was obviously hot, but we were obviously so unorganized. Nobody was paying enough attention past the politics of booking. So anyway, that's how I, I looked at that situation, but he was Steve Borden was just a can't miss guy. And, uh, now he's back more focused. Uh, and I say that people are going to laugh at me. He's older. He's a Christian. He has a different lifestyle. He has a different point of view and outlook. He has a new marriage. So he's, he's got reason to have uh, major changes and he seems motivated to want to pass it back on red and he like, like Darby Allen, he's taking Darby under his wing. If nothing else on traveling and, and planning a match or wherever it may be. So Steve has, uh, done, he, he's done a lot of, and he doesn't do a lot of ballyhoo, but he's uh, really a good mentor to the entire roster. There's not one person on that roster that would a wrestler that wouldn't tell you they are little stingers to some degree at some point in their wrestling fandom. Everybody covers them every base. So anyway, that's what I'm thinking, uh, on that he's, we're, we're really, we're really, uh, blessed to have him. He's that important to us. So I don't even think about his age. Tony Khan's not going to overbook him. Steve board is not going to let himself get overbooked. He's going to do things he can handle to maintain some level of uh, sanity. So it's a, we're, we're lucky right now in AEW to have him just like the folks in WCW were lucky to have him back 30 years ago. 1990, man, what an important year. He's going to start the year as a horseman, but he's also scheduled to take on Ric Flair at wrestle war. And this is a different type of booking at the time where you have sting who's really over with the crowd here as a baby face, but he's a part of the horseman. The observer would write no idea what is going to happen in the main event. Since Jim Hurd apparently still wants the belt to go to Luger. Do you remember in your. Your, your conversations, maybe in a booking committee, maybe while you're having a few cocktails were heard that he favor one over the other it, here in 1990, it feels like a lot of people felt like, Hey, if it was going to be Luger's time, it was Luger's time. A couple of years ago, right now, uh, it's Sting's time. Did you feel the way that same way? And, and what did Heard think? No, I thought Sting's time and had, uh, was maybe a year or two earlier, at, at least a year. Heard Mr. Heard liked, uh, liked, uh, Luger because of his height. He's walking through an airport. He's on he's six, five. He looks like a Greek God. All those things are true. And, uh, that's what impressed Heard the most. He heard somebody said about Vince, turn your head, turn heads in airports or so-and-so could walk through an airport. Nobody even noticed. You hear that too sometimes. Yeah. So, uh, I think Lex's height had as much to do with it. It sounds crazy, but he just had that stature. 
right. The, the stature of a world champion and, uh, with the wrestling people, Cornets on the committee, myself and, uh, and other, many others in and out come and go <laughs> pretty much had this, had the consensus stings should be our guy. At least at the start of 1990, Flair is leading the booking committee as much as Flair ever led, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but what was his gut? Was he saying, did he feel like Sting was the right opponent for him? Or did he think there was some money in Luger? Well, I hate to, uh, not give you a definitive answer. I don't really know the answer. Certainly don't want to speak for Rick. Uh, I think Rick knew that Sting was special. But he also knew that Luger had that magical look. And if Rick's thinking with Rick's brain, and he is, he's going to tell you he can have a great match with either one of them. And he's probably right. Yeah, he, he did. So uh, I don't know where he, where he is, where Young is at, what side of the room on. I'm thinking just from a working standpoint. Hey, Nate, you want to go 30 minutes tonight with Sting or 30 minutes tonight with Luger? Well, I think he's going to say Sting. It's an easier match to construct and to put together. You know, as much charisma and that intangible stuff, that it factor, uh, Luger was non-paralleled. But he was a real, uh, but again, that, that, that frigging look, man, you can't, you can't buy them. Oh, I guess you, well, you can buy them. You're doing a steroids. God damn it. So well, whatever, uh, Mr. Mr. Happy face. And, uh, so I don't know what Nate would say. I kind of think he would say sting, but I'm not hundred percent sure. Do you remember if there was a, a strong advocate for sting on the booking committee Was someone adamant <clears throat> things are guy, we got to give sting a try a shot Heard, mm. Mr. Heard like Luger. We've said that, and I think that's where his heart lied. And this the, it was, in a way, Conrad. It was Mr. Herb was seemingly trying to emulate the WWE. You got to have your Hulk Hogan figure, right? We got to have that. We got a Hulk Hogan face in our locker room, so we need a big six-five guy or whatever, great body. To plug right in that spot. And that's not how it works. It's not how it works. There's nothing human about all that. There's nothing who who's connected with the audience and all those things. And who's got the best character. Who's going to live, be able to lead the company. Cause you're going to put a whole lot on their shoulders when you make them champion, or at least you should. So, uh, well, I think Mr. Heard was a primary, uh, speaker for Lex. And it wasn't like Lex was unpopular. You're asking to make a decision. What do you think? You think Sting is the guy or is Luger the guy? Well, you don't have to be, you, you can certainly be unapologetic and say, I think it's, I think it's Sting or Luger. So and nobody probably would have given two as crazy as that place was. We've talked about it a lot here. We got, we've done some great shows on the uh, dysfunction of WCW back in those early, early days. Uh, but doggone Conrad is just for a lot, for a lot of people in the Turner white shirt, blue jacket, red tie guys, uh, 
they didn't know the difference. So they would think bigger is better. And who is bigger? And some people were going to shake their head like, you know, JR, I, I loved him when he was younger. He's sharp. He did a good job. But now he's lost it. Yeah. Okay. I don't think I've lost it, but nonetheless, I'm giving you an opinion. And that's all it is. One man's opinion. Let's, uh, let's get back on track about 1990 here. We're talking about Lex Luger, uh, being the, the favorite of Jim Hurd, but we know that the plan is going to be that sting is going to be the guy to beat Ric Flair. And supposedly in this era, a lot of the quote unquote heat brother amongst the boys is, uh, getting dumped on Ric Flair because they're not happy with the way they're being used or they're not happy with creative or what have you, but we're setting some records along the way, but on our way to the big event in February wrestle war. Flair's going to resign as the booker. And I want to talk about that, but before I do, I want to mention on air, the idea is Lex Luger is looking to take Sting's title shot at wrestle war, or he wants to beat flair for the belt ahead of time. And this is way before anybody ever considered a quote unquote three-way dance, but we do have a lot of six man tags all over the country in this era. It's sting teaming up with Ole and Arn Anderson. They're the horsemen, remember, as weird as that sounds, to take on the great Muda, the Buzz Sawyer, and Dragon Master. And I just assume, knowing you like I do, you had to see money in Sting versus Great Muda. Was that ever something yeah. that kicked around? You think? Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Uh but I think you're referring to, you're talking about you're talking about the, was was Muda the, the Dragon Master? Yes. Well, well, you see, so what we had is like, um, uh, Gary Hart as the manager and he was teaming with Buzz Sawyer a lot. Okay. Um, well, I just thought that at one time, Ole like using, uh, uh, oh God, he's a great, uh, middle of the card. Uh, Kendo Nagasaki was the dragon yeah. master, but yeah. he was part of the six man that rounded out Muda and Sawyer. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I got you. I'm with you now. I'm back on earth. Uh, yeah, I, you know, look, I was always, I've always been a big mood of a great mood of fan. Uh, and I tell you, sometimes it was kind of like when I recruited the rock in a little restaurant there in South Florida, when, when we came in every, every head in the room turned. And as I said, in our little stage show, we occasionally that women will come by wanting to know if we wanted more to drink and they didn't even work there. They just, they want to get a good look at those, uh, the, uh, Dwayne. So, uh, and it was kind of the same thing with Muda. Muda walks into the, uh, CNN center walks in our office to pick up his check. And every woman that worked in that floor came out of their office regularly. So he had it on red. I, I don't know how to frame it. It's a feel, it's a touch, it's an emotion. So, uh, there, that, that group right there had a lot of money in the, you know, they were, they were some top, top talents without, without a doubt. Well, as we get to, uh, the big event, the big storyline, because boy, it is, um, it's at the clash of the champions, the February 6th event. This is where it all changes. Ultimately sting's going to get kicked out of the horseman and boy, it is a great piece of business. We've got Terry funk in the ring. He's going to host it. Let's track it and take a listen. There you see the old funker in the ring right there. Hello. 
want to say one thing right now, that there's two things that's going to be hard to beat in 1990. One of them is world championship wrestling because it's here to stay. And the other one is the horseman. All four of them. Rick Flair, Sting, Foley, and Arn Anderson. Here they are. Come on out, guys. So there you see the, the big introduction of the horseman. Quite an eclectic group. They make their way down to the ring, and uh, now it's time for us to handle a little bit of business. Let's throw it back to Terry. Dennis is about to pick up Conrad. Attitude. I like to think that I have that attitude, but I know that you horsemen have it. I know that you have it. Let me ask you a question. You want to just do something and hang on that microphone, or you want me to hang on to it? Let me just say one thing, Terry. When we have an opportunity to get together on national television, uh, only thought that we were running long. Make a statement. And tonight, once again, the horsemen are going to make a statement. And on behalf of the horsemen, the spokesman, Ole Anderson, has a few words. We want to make sure that everybody all around the country has an opportunity to hear what I'm about to say. And I want you in particular to pay attention to its thing because you're the reason we're here tonight. I want you to know you're not gonna be a horseman anymore. It's over. No more horsemen for this thing. Yeah, don't close your mouth a second. I'm gonna explain something to you. I want everybody to listen real close and you listen real close. When Rick, called me and called Iron to come in here. It was for one reason. And the reason he called us in here was to get rid of you. And I tell you, now just be quiet. Just, there's, there's three of us standing here and there's one of you. Just wait a second. One thing that nobody looked for and nobody could figure was when you jumped in and helped Rick against this guy. We held off. A little later in the Iron Man contest, we came in that ring and we were ready to stick your head in the sand again. And as we came through the ring, Rick gave us this, eh, pay attention. Rick gave us that sign and waved us off. You were spared for the second time. And then something that nobody would have ever dreamed could happen, happened when you became one of us, a horseman. And you were a good horseman, no argument about it. You're a great wrestler, you're a tough, strong kid, but you did the one unforgivable thing that we can never forget. You know what that was? When you signed that match to meet Ric Flair for the world title on February 25th, you signed your death warrant. Now you listen now. I'm going to tell you what I said to Rick. We all agreed we should just stop you right now. But Rick says, no, no. Now, he helped me one time. We let him live one time, but on one condition. And the condition is this. You go to the promoter. You go to Mr. Jim Ross or whoever you got to talk yeah. to. And you tell him that you're going to cancel that contract with this man. Wait a minute. Get over here, Pat. Just listen. Too far. No, you listen to me and you listen real good. 
Anybody, even a blind man, could see there's three of us and there's only one of you. We're going to spare your life. You got about two hours to make up your mind what you're going to do. And I'm telling you right now, it's only because of his nice kindness that we're going to let you live right here. Two hours, you make up your mind, you go tell Ross, you tell everybody in the world on this national TV that you're going to give up that chance at the world title. You understand? Sing, I bought you a little time because of what you got. You're too easy. The whole deal is this. You got two hours to make up your mind and you're no longer a horseman. And if we ever see you again, you're not going to be quite so lucky as you are tonight. Wait a minute. Come on. Look at this. I'm trying to tell you. I want you to time. I do the smart thing. Smart I cannot believe this. This is the greatest thing oh. I've ever seen in my life. This is pathetic. Rick Flair, absolutely pathetic. He gave the guy a chance. Well, he gave the guy a chance. Yeah, you're a big chance. Fans, we're gonna, we'll be right back. This continues live. Don't go away. We'll be right back. So there you go. What a masterful angle. It's great. Now we know sting is no longer a horseman. He's got two hours to decide, but it feels like the decision was made for him. Great angle, man. Terry Funk and Ole Anderson and Ric Flair and sting just good stuff. And I got a shout out from Ole. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was well done. And I would say all those guys had a hand in, you know, Ole may have been the leader and the creative, uh, and I'm one of the guys that certainly had great influence, uh, but the, all those guys were able to contribute. I mean, look what you got there. You got Ole and you got Arn. Arn ain't a bad talker. In case somebody's noticed, uh, you know, it's Terry Funk can cut promos in the level of anybody. So, uh, and always has been, that's one of his great skills. So I, uh, I wasn't surprised it was good, but I, what I found funny in the, after the, after the fact is how many times Ole tried to get everybody back on track and stay within the time that they had allotted for it. Do you notice that? Yeah. So, uh, he was directing traffic in a, in, in an Ole Anderson way, kind of like he would, if he was the real guy. So it was a, it was a good piece of business. And literally one hour later, it all went to shit. Ole Anderson is going to replace Sting in the cage match, and Sting's going to run out to confront Flair. But as he's climbing the cage and gets pulled down, he blows out his knee. Yeah. And this is going to be a major blow to the point where you guys all come back and meet in Atlanta just to figure out what the hell do we do now. All right. On Tuesday, he's going to have doc, uh, surgery with Dr. Jim Andrews. Right. They're saying he's going to be out till August. Sting is hoping to beat that and come back in July. But we got a pay-per-view later this month, and we're yeah. scrambling to figure out what in the world do we do? We know we're going to go with Lex Luger that day for Wrestle War, but do you remember any other ideas being pitched around? There are crazy ideas. I I uh, suggested Muda. 
but the conflict there was his popularity. The face paint was cool. His, uh, moon salt was cool. He did a lot of cool shit that heels don't become heels for doing. Uh, that's not the traits you want to manifest in a great villain is they do cool shit. I don't think it gives you the wrong emotion. You have a hard time wanting to see them lose. And if you do not want to see a heel lose that you are booking, uh, then you're, you, you booked yourself into a corner. So, uh, anyway, yeah, I, I like Muda. He got nowhere, no traction. Uh, so it just, uh, we went with what we had at that point in time. I think we also discussed, uh, Rick Steiner, maybe. Wow. He was there, right? Yep. Uh, his thing came up a lot because he was such a believable looking guy in the Rick's not in the, uh, puppy dog stage, but or Scotty Steiner was also discussed at time of time, but you know, uh, I think a lot of guys are worried about controlling Scotty and it just wasn't, it was bad chemistry. Conrad, that's what I'm saying here. We did, we weren't ready for that. There's no way to prepare for that. And we did. And now we got to go about developing plan B. And that was what was really touchy to say the least. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Well, of course, we know that Muda is going to be unhappy with the way things are going, and, and he's threatening to quit on the heels of this clash of the champions. And boy, there's just chaos all around. But the narrative for a long time had been the decision was made we're going to have Sting beat Flair at Wrestle War. This is supposed to be Sting's anointment later this month, and this is going to delay that. So, whoever is going to be the champion, if we do take the belt off of Rick, is going to be, well, a short termer to say the least. But on the other channel, just to add context to this, because it is sort of fun to think about, the Ultimate Warrior is about to become the man beating Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania 6. That would happen in April. In theory, you know, Warrior was going to take down the wrestler of the 80s in the WWF, and here he is, this jacked-up, wild-hair, neon-painted superstar. And here in the NWA, well, sort of the same thing. We were going to have this wild-haired, neon superstar take down the wrestler of the eighties in the NWA, Ric Flair, but that was supposed to happen in February, not in July. But at this point, your number two baby face or your top baby face is probably Norman, the lunatic, uh, with sting down. And, and that's <laughs> probably not what you're looking for in the main event. No, no. Uh, here's another guy that's miscast. I have, I had a hand in that too. Unfortunately, I'm not proud of that one. I, I brought, I brought Mike Shaw in from Calgary. Uh, at, with the, uh, blessing of Stu Hart, who t- spoke very highly of Mike. That's all I needed to hear. And we, we brought him in and then the, uh, herd had the idea for the lunatic. Uh, and he was a, such a successful heel as mock and sing 
in Calgary. It wasn't even funny. He had some great runs there, multiple runs. And of course we changed it. Why? And I, somewhere in Hurd's mind, I think he might say, well, that's what McMahon would do. He'd create his own character. Use this guy's basic skills, put a new coat of paint on him, dress him up different, send his ass out there. It never got over at all. And that was one of the big misses in my reign. That's not a good word, but in my time there, we missed on was Mike Shaw should have stayed mock and sing and been a monster heel because he was 400 pounds. He'd have come back. Yeah. So he didn't get his shot. I felt bad for Mike. Uh, he deserved it. Paid his dues. Good hand. Uh, but we, we had so much turmoil and change and distrust in the booking committee that no one ever got on a quote unquote role. So they would be ready in case a extreme emergency occurred. And that didn't happen. That was not good planning. And I was part of that too. I was in those damn meetings. I did not bragging about being in them, but I was in them. So Lex Luger's the U S champ and, and maybe he's more of a heel, but boy, he's going to become babyface in a hurry. Now he's got to take on uh Ric Flair for the world title at wrestle war. Uh, stings fresh off of surgery, but we still have him appear before the crowd, before the match. And they're just excited to see him towards the end of the show though. He comes down to show support and, uh, what do you know? The horsemen come down and start putting the beat down on him. That distracts Luger. Luger goes to make the save. It's a big count out. And we end wrestle war with a count out audience, but the crowd, man, they're chanting. We want sting. So it's clear if there was ever a debate about who should the guy be, it should be sting. That's who the fans want, Yep. but boy, we don't want to wait till July because now we've got to just stretch and kill time. And in theory, if sting was anointed here in February, he would have been hot at your biggest time of the year from a live event standpoint, right? Yeah. Yeah. He would have, uh, it's just the stars that never get aligned. Um, uh, and. That, that was a big, we missed all the way around stings timing. And then the injury occurred, which you can't control. You know, Lex wasn't ready for that, that, that role. He looked ready. He had a, he had a great uh, aura about him. Obviously I've always been really high on that, but work-wise he was probably a year or so away. He needed to work in main event level matches with, with heels. Or, or with people like, uh, Gary Hart was managing cause Gary would help him, uh, but he needed guidance and he wasn't getting much guidance. Uh, and that's too bad because anytime you get the wrestlers booking on the booking committee, you have issues like that because they have, a oh, uh, they have dues in their mind. They need to repay or, or take care of a buddy, uh, or whatever. And it just becomes non-objective. So that's kind of where we were. We were really up Shit's Creek before they made Shit's Creek. You're watching that show. I have. So when Ric Flair resigns as the chairman of the NWA booking committee, did this, are you surprised that his frustration with Jim Hurd bubbled over, or is this almost a good thing? Was he at times difficult to get things done with? And it, you guys maybe thought, well, 
hate to see him go, but I can't say it. It'll be more difficult. Might be easier now. Well, <clears throat> I think that, uh, you know, I, I'm glad we didn't take the belt off flair. Uh, I didn't think it was necessary. Leave it on him. He's what the people know, and he's a star and, uh, he sold tickets, but he, 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 he was just, I think he should have stayed where it was, but nonetheless, he didn't, <clears throat> um, I don't know, Conrad, it just was a, a weird time. And I think Rick's time to get out of that role was there <clears throat> because he was just, uh, stress to the fucking gills, you know, wrestlers aren't trained to, to keep schedules other than they're, they're booking. That's it. One hour a day. You got to be at a certain place. Let's talk about, uh, the next big uh, time we see sting. He's going to appear, um, for a taping of worldwide. Now the worldwide taping doesn't air until May 5th, but of course that was weeks after it was filmed, but this is the episode where Barry Windham is introduced as a new member of the horseman. And this is the first time that sting has sort of been beat up since his injury. And we know that he's fresh off of surgery with Dr. Jim Andrews, but maybe he's just not ready for an actual match, but he can do a little bit here and there. And that sort of keeps the train on the track and helps us get to the next pay-per-view, which as crazy as this sound is going to include RoboCop. Here's a promo here. <laughs> Make it right now. Don't worry about my social calendar, Jim. It's just fine. I have not with all the rich and famous people. Well, I, I uh, so you're still staying pretty busy socially. Uh, anybody new in your life here lately? Well, I have a new friend, and uh, he's a pro football player. Well, who is it? You gonna tell us? I might. I might not. Well, anyway, ladies and gentlemen, we'll keep, a track, we'll keep track of the messy social life a little bit later in the program. <laughs> right now, let's take a look at what happens involving Sting. We know that Ole Anderson has threatened Sting, and Sting has now made it clear he will be at Capital Combat with RoboCop. Yeah, RoboCop. Like, <laughs> God. Around when you need him. And that's why, Sting, you shouldn't have him with you there. I mean, Sting, you really should retire. I mean, I know if my thoroughbred hurt his leg, I would have to put him out to pasture. And you know, Sting, you're no thoroughbred. You should go out to pasture. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to see that announcement, that special feature with Sting and RoboCop, and then we're going to hear some comments from Ole Anderson. Horseman, you said you were going to take me out. You said I'd never wrestle again. But you made a big mistake when you started messing with the little singer. Like Conrad Thompson down there in Alabama. He was a little stinger. If you think you're invincible, take it over. So there you go. Uh, RoboCop is here and we know we're marching towards the big pay-per-view. The story is that RoboCop is here to store, stop the horseman since sting is still not fully healed. And Flair's going to have the horseman in his corner for the Flair Luger rematch that goes down at capital combat. Um, yeah. Then the pay-per-view goes down. Obviously this isn't something that creative come with. This is something that uh, Turner sort of dictated and handed down and Sort of, they want to be, they, they were emulating the WWE Conrad. Yes. That's all they wanted to be. We got to have sizzle. We got a little show biz. We have to, we have to have some entertainment with our sports and that we've, we've gone over, this has happened in this show already several times where we can point out 
where the motivation lies. The motivation lies in, in thinking that if we just emulate in a loose way, the creative that WWE is a parlaying, we're going to be just fine. And that's one of the most ridiculous, uh, analogies that one could ever think of. Well, as if it's not enough staying in RoboCop, they're joined by Eligante, who we've talked a little bit about, and, uh, at least thing is back in the action here. Uh, even if it is a little silly with RoboCop, but Hey, if you're working with the horseman and you're the top baby face and you're not there, uh, you're, you're okay. Yeah. Along, along the way with sting down, it does create opportunity, just like in traditional sports. When someone goes down with an injury, there's an opportunity guys like junkyard dog and Paul Orndorff get to come back. They're called the superheroes. Very briefly. Not all the ideas are great ideas. Uh, <laughs> and then Ole Anderson is named the official booker on may 14th. So just a few months after sting sort of step or, or Ric Flair steps down from the booking committee. Now here comes Ole Anderson. What do you think Ole thought of sting? Did he see the money in sting? I think he did. I thought he saw a young white meat baby face in the traditionalist sense. And that's what sting was. You want to just break it all down, all the veneer off the, off the persona. He was a, uh, a very athletic, white meat baby face that connected with the audience. So Ole's the kind of booker that even if he didn't like it, he's not going to turn down the money. Only thing Ole's going to turn down is the covers. <laughs> Simple as that, man. So I, yeah, Ole was, it might not, he, he Sting might not have been his choice, but based on the hand that we had and that the hand that Ole inherited, it was the right way to go for Ole too. Well, uh, Sting's going to, uh, have the dudes with attitudes on commentary. <laughs> I should have made on a star. Uh, and, and of course, uh, yeah, you're able to do a little bit of commentary with sting while he's out. You're trying to buy time before he's able to get yeah. back in the ring. How was he to work with on the microphone? He listened really well. And that's the key. When you are a full-time pro wrestler and you're called upon to do, uh, television commentary, it's going to be in the color analyst like role. You're not going to do play by play. That's not your forte. Uh, and it's harder than it looks. And, but he listened really well. Uh, you know, he understood the concept of not talk, talking over each other. Uh, you know, that kills me sometimes on these, uh, I get hooked on some of the ESPN shows in the morning and they, and they, they run me off because you get multiple, uh, multiple individuals talking at the same time, right? Incessant, incessantly. It's like, what the fuck are you guys doing? You can't you hear somebody else is talking. I can't process every goddamn audible noise I hear. So, uh, but anyway, he, he was really good at being patient and listening and, and, uh, and getting the material in, he, he understood the concept. So he had a good aptitude for wrestling, but that told me, and that was all, that's always good to discover. Of course, we know it finally happens. Great American bash, 1990, uh, go back and revisit grilling Jr. number 10, which we dropped May 25th, 2020, where we talked about that show in long form. But this is the day where sting finally becomes the man. I understand that Ric Flair signed a contract extension right before he wasn't exactly tickled to be losing the belt, but 
boy, what a moment it is when Sting finally beat him. Huge celebration, huge pyro. And at this point, just as a frame of reference, WCW has never made a profit. They lost money in 88. They lost money in 89. It looks like they're, you know, still losing money here halfway through 1990. But the hope and the goal is this is going to be the, uh, as Bruce would call it, the fresh paint of coat that we're looking for. It was a big night there in Baltimore when Stinger came the man, was it not? Oh yeah. Yeah. It was great. People were, they'd been waiting. Anticipation is like one of the great emotions that we can sell in the wrestling business or anybody else's business. If you can provide what you perceive to be, is going to be this great offer, this great product. Uh, and you built to that moment, which is now in Baltimore, uh, fans are more than ready. I think they came there and bought tickets to see this historic day. Uh, and to me, it just showed how much more valuable flair was than people thought he was as valuable in this point of the territory. He flair was as valuable as a challenger and an angry former champion chasing as he was, uh, as the champion, the heel champion, in my opinion, that's how valuable flair was to our company. So, you know, he, he did, uh, I know he didn't want to lose the title, but you know, he's going to get it back. <laughs> so that's so why I always told him, you know, you're going to get it back. When you guys start promoting this match, you know, and, and, and we're plugging it and making sure everybody understands, Hey, here's the big pay-per-view sting is back and sting and flare, blah, blah, blah. Was there any concern that sting might not actually be ready to go, that he might be coming back too soon? Yeah. There's always that concern. Somebody coming back with an injury. Uh, that was ahead of the forecasted date of healing, but you know, uh, he, he trained awful hard. I think, uh, I'm not sure if this was during the period that he owned the gym with Lex main event fitness there in, uh, suburbs of Atlanta, but, but I know we all knew he, how hard he was training and that boded, boded well for him. He, he, he got himself ready. And of course, uh. We're going back and forth to Dr. Andrews frequently just to make sure along the healing process, everything's cool. There's no surprise. We don't want more surprises. So I don't think Sting would have gone back without, I don't think TVS, at least I don't think they're smart, so stupid. They wouldn't make sure he was good because he goes back in and re-injures it, makes it worse. You're talking, you know, lots and lots of money. So let's also mention clash of the champions 11 in Charleston, South Carolina, we would see junkyard dog take on Ric Flair. It ends in a DQ when Ole interferes. And at this point, Sid vicious joins the four horsemen. And it's just a mess of bodies between everybody to brawl at the end of the show. In hindsight, was it the best association for sting to be paired with guys like JYD and Orndorff? Yeah. Uh, probably not. But that's all we had, right? We'd let it go to hell. And, uh, consequently we didn't have a lot of choices, Conrad. No, it wasn't the best choice for sting whatsoever. You hope, well, he'll get a little bit of a rub off of him. Uh, the match would be constructed where he stars at the end type thing. And, uh, but no, it wasn't the right people, but it was all we had. The final build to Flair and Sting here begins with Jim Hurd announcing the stipulations of the match at the Great American Bash. It's going to be a no DQ 
with Ole Anderson and Eligante handcuffed to each other. And there's a string of house shows that are portrayed as Sting's return, but he never actually gets cleared to wrestle for any of these, but he does appear at the shows. And Meltzer would say the poor houses are an indication they're now paying for blowing what could have been a good house show run by overexposing Sting to death. Do you think that's such a thing that you can overexpose a talent? Yeah, absolutely. No doubt. Uh, you don't want to take the, the shine off somebody. Uh, and you get, and you, you run that risk. If you're having guys just make appearances cause they're, they're working off an injury. Uh, I, yeah. Oh, especially on television, you can do reports, you can do updates, you can do interviews, you can do remote things, all kinds of stuff, uh, without him having to be there in person. So yes, I do believe that you can overexpose somebody without a doubt. I want to also mention that, uh, Sting's finally going to return to the ring, the team with Luger to get a win over flair and Wyndham July 1st farmland, Tennessee. I don't even know where that is on a map. And I live in Alabama, but, uh, (laughs) folks were, were super hyped to see Sting finally back in action, but I guess it makes sense. Let's sort of, uh, crawl before we walk, put him in a tag match here. But the big moment of course happens. Great American bash 1990 in Baltimore. Uh, it takes 16 minutes and five seconds and sting wins his first NWA world title. And Meltzer points out that sting wasn't really doing a lot of what got him over due to the knee injury. But after the match boy sting pays his respects. He calls Ric Flair, the greatest champion ever, uh, in an interview with Gordon Soley that he does on the ramp. And there's some booze in the live crowd when he does it, but it is a nice little tip of the cap from a classy Steve Borden. Is it not? Yeah. Yeah. And it was unplanned. You know, it was his call. So that showed also good. I talked earlier about him having a good aptitude. Well, one of the, one of those facets of having a good aptitude is to make sure that you're, uh, you do everything as a pro. And that was certainly the most, one of the most professional things Sting could have done. And it kind of calmed the waters a little bit and let Rick get some recognition that he deserved. And, uh, now we got to wait and see how it goes. Here's what Meltzer would write. There's a new King and Flair's reign as the number one man in the promotion is now over. Unfortunately for sting, he's following in the footsteps of someone that many feel is the greatest all around performer in history right now. That may not be a factor because pretty much everyone seems to realize the title change was something that needed to be done. But a few months down the line, particularly when sting headlines against someone other than Flair, the, the comparisons will be made. If sting doesn't have hot matches on a regular basis. It'll be worse if flair is working underneath him and working at the same level he does now, but the real pressure isn't living up to flair's work rate standard, which frankly is unfair to anyone. The pressure is that sting is now going to be the one credited and blamed for the promotions, fortunes of house shows. Over the past year, there's been a lot of dispute and blame tossed around about the NWA's lack of fans at the arena. Let's talk about that. I don't know that that pressure exists now, but once upon a time, boy, Everybody look to the top guy who's carrying the belt. And if we had a good house, it's because of him. And if we had a bad house, it's because of him. I don't know that that's fair. Now, was it ever fair in your opinion? Probably not. Uh, it gets more fair. If you're a, a territory that's small and your top guy's not drawn, uh, there's so much, uh, depth in, uh, AEW today and so much depth in WWE today that 
uh, it's hard to blame negatives on one person because it, this is truly more of an ensemble cast era than it is the one shining star. There are no, there's no Hogan's there's no stone coals. Don't have that one major stud pulling the wagon to the degree I should say, and it's important to say, uh, uh, as it is now, it's just, it's a different, a different world. People want volume. Uh, there, you know, we, we, we run the risk. We had a match the other day, the match with, uh, Hunk and, uh, MJF. They had a hell of a good match in Chicago. It was brilliant booking. I thought for two days, what are, what's going to happen in that match? And, uh, I didn't, cause I don't know. And it was just, uh, amazing that we tested the waters on a 40 plus minute TV match, including commercials. Uh, and we had a finish where the villain goes over to close the show. Two things that people that aren't done a lot anymore. So it, it keeps changing Conrad. We haven't seen the last of any of these changes that are ongoing in our in our business, you and I are going to are living through a very unique time, uh, and the fans as well, obviously, uh, here in their, in this point in time, very unique. Boy, uh, Sting's got to be up for the challenge here because uh, I don't know if you've seen the excellent documentary or docu series that did on Peacock about Joe Montana, but Steve Young had a tough road to hoe when when he's stepping into Joe Montana's shoes. And Sting sort of doing the same thing here with Ric Flair, right? The standard was so high with Flair. It was going to be tough for anybody to follow that. Was it not? Yeah. It's going to be the same with, uh, Mac Jones in new England. Yeah. He's following Tom Brady. Uh, whoever gets the head, the, uh, quarterback job in, uh, Tampa, they're following Tom Brady. And so when you find yourself in those situations, I always said that I thought that it was a blessing that I didn't follow solely Shivani and David Crockett did. And because Soli's image and his, that, that shadow that he cast is just, uh, insurmountable. So, when, but what solves that a little bit is time. So some time passed and, and no JR shows up on TVS with working with Tony and David. And then it evolved from there. So, uh, uh, it's just, uh, it's a tough deal, man, to follow the, follow that greatness. So the next night in Asbury park, they're doing a house show and it's notable because Gary, Michael Capetta announces that sting had defeated Ric Flair to become the new NWA world champion. And when he makes that announcement before the matches start, there's a huge amount of booze raining in. They came to see the nature boy. Was there any concern that, you know, we might undermine sting if we have Rick working the undercard, was that something people were talking about? Do you think? Well, it got our attention based on the reaction you just described. I don't know if that was just a quote unquote, Northeast heel reaction. I don't know. Uh, there was a lot of angst. We were told I wasn't there, but we were told there's a lot of angst, the crowd, the booing and so forth. Uh, but yeah, you gotta be careful how you do that. So what I'm asking, I guess, is, is Flair a baby face now or a heel? What's your answer? 
Well, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, Arn Anderson has always referred to him as a half-assed baby face, but I think the answer becomes in how does he wrestle? Does he cheat to win? Is he holding tights? Is he using foreign objects? Is he putting his feet on the ropes? Then he's a heel and, and people just cheer the villains, which I guess is becoming more and more commonplace in large part. Thanks to Ric Flair. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, what I'm saying is that he was in no man's land. Yes. And he didn't have a pure, clean identity for the fans to relate to Conrad. So that was another booking mistake. Uh, we should have, Rick should have been a baby face because as a baby face, the tag matches that he and Sting could have against the horsemen and a variety of other guys could have been very, very good and drawn money. And, uh, and Sting would have been able to be in the ring every night, so to speak with an H. And so I don't know that was not done. And that may have just because of Rick's passion. want to remain a heel because it was more fun and he liked being a heel. I think at that point in time, you got to say, look, you've been playing quarterback. I got to get you out get you back in the game. You're going to start running. You're going to be a running back. I'm going to get the ball in your hands. So, and you help our new quarterback get over pretty much it. So, uh, th but that didn't materialize to that deal and it jeopardized Sting's growth, no doubt. So let's talk about, um, uh, what happens when sting or flair goes down with a staff infection, he's going to miss a few loops. He's out hurt. So the powers that be slot Harley race in here. So now it's Harley race, taking flair spot It's a team with Barry Windham to take on sting and Luger. This has got to be maybe one of Harley's last hurrahs here. Does it not? Yeah, I, I think it might be, it might be, it, but I'll say he did an admirable job. He wasn't no spring chicken then, but Harley was Harley was Harley and, and the guys, uh, I hope that and I'm sure I, I I'm sure that Luger and sting would both agree that they, they should have learned something all those nights with Harley should learn something. And if that wasn't worth something really important, then we're all missing a boat here. So Ole was just lucky. He had, that was another thing about being, a uh, you know, Ole had that territory and, and, and Georgia, and he used these guys a lot. So those guys half-ass owed Ole a little bit because of the paydays he earned them back when they needed it. So I, I think that was a blessing, quite frankly, you know, even though we make fun of Ole and his band lawns and, you know, hitting himself in the head and shit like that. And, you know, he was just, he's crass as hell. Uh, <laughs> Shivani and I used to almost go hide in, in our 13th 12th floor, 13th floor where it was, uh, so we didn't run into Ole. Then on the rare chance you did late at night, he'll say, you boys better write that Sunday show. Cause I'm sure as hell not. If you don't write it, it ain't going to happen. He'd leave. So Shivani and I would take all the existing elements that fit storyline wise, package them up and do a show. It's as Ole. He was very unique in a lot of ways, but he was not a dumbass by any stretch. He understood the pro wrestling business. He's like cowboy. Sometimes his, uh, communication skills could have been used a little softening up. Maybe. Uh, I, I want to uh, mention that Harley race here, uh, pops up for, for WCW at that great American bash show. And that's in early July. I think it's July 7th. Yeah. July 7th. 
but the reason I'm noting this is just about a month earlier, I think it's June 9th. Harley was arrested for operating a boat while under the influence of alcohol. <laughs> he had a 23 foot boat in the Lake of the Ozarks. He hit another boat from behind. He sent four passengers from that boat to the hospital. Two suffered broken legs. One had a collapsed lung. Two others suffered lacerations. And this accident happened on the eighth, but on the ninth, they came and arrested, uh, old, uh, Harley. But, uh, the, the irony of this whole thing, this famous legendary boating accident, Harley's not injured at all. Now his boats totaled and basically so is everyone else, but Harley just walks away. The dude was iron man. Was he not? Yeah. He was uh, the good Lord had bigger plans, I guess, for Harley. Yeah. Cause he, of all rights, he should have been dead. He had car wrecks, same deal. Car couldn't even determine what kind of car it was. And that was the one Harley was driving. He walked away. It was the most amazing thing I've ever, I've ever been around in that regard. But he also was a tough son of a gun. When you hear guys talk about who's tough guys and this, that, the, the shooters and all everything, I wouldn't take Harley race against any, I wouldn't, I wouldn't just put anybody against Harley race except to win because he's not an amateur or an MMA guy. He's just a street fighter. And, uh, and he was a real good one. I'll tell you, I never heard of him getting beat. So yeah, that was an interesting time. It seemed like we couldn't get a break. Conrad Steve gets in Steve Steen gets injured in February. You know, Flair's gonna, he's going to reluctantly, uh, resign. It's just, it's just crazy. Well, the whole uh, Harley race substitution, they first go with that July 14th, 1990 in St. Louis, which makes a ton of sense, but we continue it in the Omni and that's going to be protocol for a little bit. Uh, it seems obvious that we're setting up sting to have an opponent in Sid. Sid's going to be his first big challenger. And I guess it makes sense to let the whole flare sting thing breathe a little bit. Uh, the houses aren't great coming off of stings win at great American bash. But in fairness, the house show business wasn't exactly setting the woods on fire beforehand. Um, do you remember Jim Hurd or Ole Anderson? Uh, I guess as he's heading up the booking committee, having second thoughts once yeah, they actually yeah. saw what was going on. Okay. Yeah, because we weren't selling tickets at a live events. Yeah, people weren't leaving their homes, getting in their cars, loading the kids up, and going to the arena and parking, and buying a ticket. They hadn't made that. They had not made that level of a commitment yet to sting who again, then, because he was the top baby face with the strap is going to be, uh, getting the blame. And uh, that's just, that makes, you know, like you said earlier, it, it really doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, there's a lot of guys in that card and you wonder how many guys comes that go, go to Ole or whomever booking committee and say, Hey, look, I know we're shorthanded. I'll do this, or I can do that, or I can shoot an, I got, I want, I got an idea to shoot an angle. So-and-so I don't remember that anybody breaking the door down to get themselves booked or to get themselves noticed, uh, at all. It just was a very unique time that I think leadership, basic leadership, Conrad, if your company doesn't have it, then you know where you're going under, you've got to have leadership and that's the way it is. I mean, we, we talk about our goddamn presidential election in this country 
365 days a year, it seems. Yeah. So in, in any, anyway, it's crazy, but sting should not have been given all the blame, but I think that was part of the reason that, well, we got Rick. He's the greatest champion of all time. Nobody's arguing that, uh, whatsoever. There's Rick right there. Uh, it's, uh, somebody else. So it's kind of fun to, to think about how both companies, both the WWF and WCW are passing the torch, uh, you know, Hulk Hogan to the warrior, Ric Flair to sting, but now we're really searching for, man, we got to have something juicy for sting to sink his teeth into. We got to get ready for these big pay-per-views. We got to have big opponents. We got to have big ideas. And as the story goes, as Oli is trying to come up with something that herd will approve, he writes down the words black scorpion. And he didn't really have an idea beyond that, but seeing the uh, black scorpion on there, boy, that got herds approval. Hey, that sounds interesting. Yeah. Let's go with that. That's Broadway. That's sports entertainment. That's <laughs> what I'm looking for. Oli. God damn it. Oli. It takes a lot of fuel to run this engine. He liked that gin, man. So the talk of the observer at the time was the reason for the black scorpion is really just to give sting a clean win in his first high profile title defense, because there's not a lot of mid-level heels that anyone believe has a chance to beat sting or that the company maybe wants to sacrifice. And Jim, you've talked a lot about on this show about what you look for, you know, from a talent relations standpoint, that you got to have the right players and that they got to be game day ready and that they got to be team players and they got to be reliable. It doesn't feel like in this era, WCW had a ton of those on the, on the heel side that sting can play with. Very frustrating. Very frustrating. We did not have the table set for sting when he became champion. Simple as that. Simple as that. He hadn't been healthy long enough consistently to, to build any creditable momentum. And but still he gets the blame for the house shows being down and so forth and so on. Uh, it was a company's loss. This company's dropped that ball and, uh, you always got to have some depth. That's the one beautiful thing I'll say about, uh, the two big companies today, AEW and WWE, they got depth, they got bodies, they got a huge cast that they can draw from. And we didn't have that man. And you'd think, well, how, how could a company that big and that much money not have it? Well, we, we discussed those reasons. Leadership, turmoil, lack of trust, everything you don't want to deal with in a pro wrestling company with, with guys that are insecure and a little paranoid. And, and the roster is a changing. Let's take a look at the roster in 89 versus 90. Some of the budget cuts are folks who are just leaving for greener pastures. Ricky Steamboat, Terry Funk, Great Muda, Steve Williams, Terry Gordy, the Road Warriors just on and on. So the black scorpion gets the nod, whatever that even means. Uh, yeah. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that sting was maybe a political animal, but I am trying to wonder, does he ever raise his hand and say, Hey, uh, the black scorpion, wh what is that? Are you kidding me? What are we doing? I think we all, we all did. Yeah. Who didn't, you know, I, I I'm trying to explain a character that I've never seen, nor do I know who it even is. And ironically, at that point in time, the storytelling to get it kicked off, none of us knew who the black scorpion was going to be because Oli didn't know. I remember one, one place he tried Al Perez, good looking kid from Florida, a good hand, a good body. And, uh, 
but I think that position was open for uh, audition right, right up until the end. As a matter of fact, I didn't know Rick was going to be the black scorpion until we got to St. Louis. So that's how organized that shit was. From a talent relations standpoint, would you say that sting was a model employee back then? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. There's no, he didn't have any, he had to all, wrestlers all believe in the, and they're right to a degree. They have to defend themselves and their, their personas and their creative and all those things. I get that. Uh, but he was never one of, he, he, he was concerned about his future, obviously, but he didn't let it affect negatively affect what he did from bell to bell or what he did in the locker room. He was a very popular guy and for good reason. He, he didn't put on any acts. He wasn't a bullshitter, but he also didn't understand all the manipulation that was ongoing behind the curtain that will affect him eventually. Let's also, uh, mention that it's a gigantic draw for the clash of the champions. So we've had a lot of fun talking about the black scorpion and we did a lot of that in the archives, but at the time, this is the most widely viewed NWA slash WCW show in the history of airing things on TV. We've got 2.76 million homes. That's an 8.4 share and a five rating. Now it does have Luger and flair underneath, but it's fair to say by this point, everyone's seen that before, but boy, people were all into this idea as silly as it may have been. Were you surprised when that rating came in? Yeah. Happily surprised. I got to, we got to breathe. We got to exhale for a little while. It's good. Uh, we put a lot of stress and pressure on ourselves. You look, there's, there were a lot of smart guys there, Conrad. And, uh, they, they we had some really str strategic thinking individuals, but we had too many bosses, you know, Jim Hurd should have just let Ole book it. Or, or, or whomever was the booker, Rick, he should have left Rick alone and it would, it would Rick needs to leave you alone. That's what needs to happen. I don't even know who these people are. So uh, the bell rings and it's sting versus Al Perez. It's not exactly sting versus flair. And it shows it's not a great match. It doesn't really do sting any justice. Meltzer yep. one star. But it's the most eyes in television history for the company. Uh, in hindsight, does this hurt Sting? Do you think? I don't know. It, it got in great exposure with a lot of eyeballs. That never hurts anybody, uh, unless you go out there and have a complete, utterly embarrassing stinker. I don't think it was a stinker, but Meltzer did apparently with one star. But that's cool. That's his opinion. Uh, I can't see how it hurting him that, with that big audience, what would have hurt him really significantly if we had shit to bed and they didn't have any, didn't have good ratings that night. And he's a headliner on a long awaited return, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, I don't think it hurt him, but it, it could have done him so much more good with a top quality, uh, ready to roll opponent. Al was an available talent who wasn't booked anywhere else. It was a good solid hand. And he was, this is the key thing. He was available. Simple. So it was not 
Sting didn't get a lot of favors done to him on his on his uh, championship reign of a few hours. The observer would have this to say sting one with a clothesline into the buckle and pin. at that point, a second black scorpion came up the aisle and we were told he was the real scorpion. And this was all mind games while nobody could understand how Jim Ross would immediately know the other guy is the real scorpion and how the first is a fake. I'm on the bucket committee. God damn it. I'm on the bucket committee told me (laughs) if I, if I presented it that way, Conrad, then JR made a big mistake. But there might have been a direct order to make sure that, you know, maybe I maybe I didn't use good wording. I don't know, but nonetheless, uh, if I did it, I didn't go into business for myself. I did it with the direction of whoever was writing the show and be sure you say this. Okay, sure. Well, and of course, uh, before you know it, we've got the Sid Vicious match. It's finally going to happen at Halloween Havoc. There's been months of teasing this where he attacks Sting after the match. Uh, and, and Sting's two biggest matches after winning the title, uh, it's good workers making him look super strong. That's what got him over. But now that, that he is the champ, now he's unfortunately tasked with doing that for others, which means instead of Ric Flair helping carry him to a great match, now he's got to do that with Sid and whatever this black scorpion mess is, it almost feels like there is a creative disconnect, but I, I don't know what another way to classify how just discombobulated this booking committee was in 1990 with, with everyone anxious because of herd flares playing hokey pokey, always just writing random shit down on a pad. This is kind of the result. Is it not? Yeah. Yeah. What would you think we're going to have? The recreation of WrestleMania one, you know, rockets. No, it's that's what you get. You, you, you harvest what you sow. And we were sowing, sowing bad shit. It wouldn't even, it just wouldn't be good. It would not be any, any, uh, oh, uh, cake that I would want to sample. And I like cake. So you wind up teaming with, uh, sting Brian Pillman, Brad Armstrong, and Tom Zink to beat the glow girls on family feud in this era. We see this picture float around all the time. What do you remember of this experience? Well, I had a great time. I remember that, uh, Pillman and Zink never went to bed. Uh, and they were out doing what young virile musc- muscular TV stars do. And, uh, I don't know. I didn't hear any, any dirt. My God, there was dirt Conrad. I think they had sex. Uh, and we had, uh, I can't remember that kid's name. He's in that picture. Wayne. God dang it. I should know that. I can't remember his name. He was like the marketing guy, but it was good. You know, uh, Ray Combs was the host and we taped, uh, five shows in one day. They took good care of us. Catering was good. Hotel was good. And, uh, we beat the glow girls. The funny thing, how that worked out, you know, you have a, an adversary when you go down the list, so it's one and one and all that. So I was four on our, on our team, the fourth position. And my adversary that day was Mrs. Jackie Stallone. So Sylvester's mama. And, you know, I'm not saying I'm real smart, but I beat her on the 
I hit the buzzer faster. <laughs> it's so stupid. Everything's a wrestling deal. So, but it was fun. It was fun. I think it did well. And we represented well. We got Brad some exposure. Of course, Sting was the lead guy. Uh, Pillman was always a character. Any TV time for him was good. He loved it. He made the most of his minutes, maximized them. But it was a fun, fun trip. It was out and back. I think we were probably gone 48 hours. So let's, um, let's talk about what's next. It's all about Sid vicious, but Sid is trying to win the belt. Black scorpion is trying to win Sting's soul. And we're getting all these clues about who the black scorpion is. We're told that he's from his past and that there's something involving Tulsa. It just feels like we're just making <laughs> shit up. Here. I think we probably were. I think you probably got the right idea, Connie. <laughs> Bringing up Tulsa. <laughs> of course, that's where Steen got his second start. First start in Memphis. Rick Bassman sent him out there to work for uh, Lawler and Jarrett. They didn't last long. They were considered bus. Cowboy took them because we needed bodies. Any, any time you can get new talent, you hope that if it's a team, the, the, the best thing, the best thing is for the team to get over and start drawing money. But the other thing that's more likely to happen is some of the, one of the two will spin out and become a big star. In this case, both sting and warrior became big stars, but warrior didn't see eye to eye with cowboy. He didn't believe in rules. He didn't work on time, little things like that. So then uh, he went to work for Gary Hart in Dallas for Fritz did uh, warrior and, and we kept staying and his thing was, I think the, the caveat on that whole buyout thing for JCP buying out cowboy, uh, that JCP got staying. But again, I don't know how sold dusty was on Sting. I don't know that. I think he was pretty sold on him, but I, I'm not sure. And basically the booker just didn't want to create bad tracks and create a situation where he's going to have to discuss this with the horseman because everything's about TV time and you, you're dealing with some smart dudes there. So yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting, interesting times. But sting was the caveat of that whole buyout in my view, he said, for whatever reason. And maybe you asked me earlier, he was a model employee. He, he really was in my view. And I think that hurt him. His squeaky wheel gets a little grease. He should have squeaked more. And all he would have to do is they, he was so coveted. They didn't want him to know it. Right. So I don't know. I, I just, I've always felt bad about that. You know, we, we didn't do a great job of, uh, preparing sting for his entry and development. And have a couple of year plan and you're going to win the title in two years or whatever it's going to be. All those things can be done unless the, the cooks in the kitchen, uh, are also, uh, you know, creating the, the, the for the, for the food they're cooking. Just, it's just not good. No, not enough objectivity. And at least in my opinion, but we didn't, we failed staying in so many ways. And, uh, thank God he's not bitter or he's not unruly today. He's that he's trustful 
he's matured, as I said, he's learned along the way from a lot of veteran guys that were a little less than forthcoming, that shall we say at times. So you guys were, were definitely inferring that, Hey, it's the ultimate warrior without saying it's the ultimate warrior wrestling fans who knew that they had a past and certainly the after type magazines, they're speculating. And of course it's not going to be the ultimate warrior. He's the top dog in the whole industry at the time. But then there's the famous contract signing for Halloween havoc where the black scorpion appears, which leads to Sid hitting sting from behind with a steel chair and pile driving sting on the chair. Uh, there's, um, a lot of moving parts here. You've got two, po two folks, two contenders gunning for sting at the exact same time. Do you, do you ever think it was ever considered, Hey, what if we put the belt on Sid, maybe this whole sting experiment is just ill fated and we need to control alt delete. I'm sure that we discussed it. Uh, and the eventuality of Sid becoming a champion there, the champion, uh, was very prominent. That could have happened at any time. They'd already figured out he's going to be one of the guys. And so when you're going to become one of the guys or the guy or one of the guys, whatever it may be, uh, you, you just gotta, you know, uh, you gotta, you, you gotta prepare them for such. And, uh, Sid was a lot farther along experience wise, because he'd been wrestling in Memphis for all those years <laughs> and he learned a lot there, good territory. So, uh, I don't know, Conrad, that's a, that's an interesting question. It just, I come back to when I'm thinking about it, uh, and I shake my head because it's like, how in the hell did we screw this up yeah. so badly? Cause this guy was, was the it guy. Sting was an it guy. When you and I first met and we were talking about our fandom and who, who kind of got us interested in things of that nature. It was always, your take was always, I was a little stinger, which I found to be somewhat humorous. Yeah. To say that Conrad's a little, anything, a little, anything. Yeah. <laughs> but seriously, you were a little stinger and you weren't alone. He was mismarketed, mispromoted, and was not given the time to become what he eventually became. So let's jump on and talk about, uh, the, the house show business. It's actually booked with sting and the scorpion, of course, because why not? It drew the big record rating. That's what we need to keep up. So it's not always the same guy either. And my question is, and this is a kind of fun sidebar. Were you there or at least aware of Tony Zane portraying the black scorpion and then being arrested in the parking lot after the show for marijuana possession? <laughs> I don't remember that. I'm not denying your story. Uh, but I don't remember that one. And I remember Tony Zane, you know, uh, mid card heel, fundamentally sound, worked the territories, you know, probably had three times as many matches as sting, but, uh, I had heard the rest of the story, uh, about the weed in the, in the parking lot. That's crazy. It is crazy. And it's also crazy that Starcade, the granddaddy of them all, the precursor to WrestleMania. Is going to be sting versus black scorpion, because why not? It drew the biggest rating, even if it is silly. <laughs> but Halloween havoc, man, that's a horse of a different color. We finally see sting and Sid vicious face off. This is one of my favorite guilty pleasure pay-per-views in front of 8,000 fans, Chicago's UIC pavilion before the match. There's a segment with Tony Schiavone and sting and 
Well, it features the black scorpion, a woman and magic boy. This is not the NWA we grew up with. Is it not? No, no. Again, is that edict from up above to become more WWE like yes, and, and, and be more entertainment. We need more entertainment in our shows because we're convinced that people that, uh, really like wrestling may not watch a clash or something. What? Because well, there's too much wrestling. That's what you're saying. And, and where did you get that information? Is that your own personal gut feeling? Or is that some high dollar research we've done that people that watch wrestling don't like to watch wrestling. You got to help me here on that. One. So, uh, it's just, we kept getting our toe back in the wrong water again and again. Let's, um, let's talk about what Meltzer said of the Halloween havoc experiment. If you will, creativity versus credibility in pro wrestling. You really can't have both. The more you have of one, the less you have of the other. Without a doubt, the finish of the sting Sid vicious main event was the most creative finish to a major NWA show in many years. It ranks alongside the twin referee finish of Andre and Hogan and the NBC special for creativity. Sting kept the NWA title beating Sid vicious in 12 minutes and 40 seconds. Vicious was cheered by more than half the crowd live. The match itself stunk for a main event, though. No fault of sting. Sid just can't work, but he sure does look phenomenal standing still. The finish saw them brawl. If that's what you'd like to call it to the dressing room while flair and Anderson came back out to divert everyone's attention. They got back to the ring, but unbeknownst to everyone. It was Barry Wyndham dressed up like sting Wyndham collapsed on a body slam attempt and vicious pinned him to apparently win the title fireworks went off. Balloons started flying everywhere as if he had just won the championship. Then sting comes out with a rope around his wrist. Apparently the storyline is that he was tied up and is now broken free. And he ran to the ring while the fake sting ran away with the wet, with the ref watching. And then he restarted the match. Sting hit vicious with the belt, splashed him in the corner and cradled him for the pin half a star. So it's a lot to unpack. It's compared to maybe the biggest money angle the WWF ever did with the twin referee thing on the main event on NBC with Andre and Hogan and both the Hebner boys. But this was really, really creative. If not a little silly to, to allow the match to be restarted, but then also allow sting to hit vicious with the belt. Well, that should have been a DQ, but whatever, what a rules matter. Yeah. Uh, the creativity is there, but maybe it's still a miss in execution. what do you think of this? I thought there were, there was a precedent for virtually everything we just discussed. Yeah. Uh, so restarting the match, seeing that, uh, the, uh, body double seen it. So it was nothing really new. My problem was it was trying to put everything like that in the same match. It was too much, too many elements to try to, to unpack, as you say. And I don't know, man, it's just, uh, it, they're trying to protect Sid. They're trying to get sting over. You can't do both. You the, the boys can do it, how they work, but. Golly, Conrad, it doesn't make any sense. You can't, you can only accomplish so many things in a match. And when you got a new champion in a singles match, your focus is on the new champion in this match. 
and you, you still get some shine and get some heat. Sting makes a great comeback and wins. That's the simplicity of this whole process. And that was for many of us, we were so, uh, disillusioned that Dennis had gotten to this level. Uh, it just didn't make any sense. We, we got, as only, I guess, outbooked himself. So let's, uh, mention too, that supposedly this was Barry Wyndham's idea, this finish, uh, the old switcheroo and Barry dressing up like sting. Dave would report that, that, that he heard that was uh, Barry's idea. And it's easy to sort of second guess is staying the guy when Sid gets a big pop like this, but I just want to give you this for the context. This is the third biggest gate of 1990, $115,000 at the gate. So it's easy to say, oh, it wasn't working, but clearly something's working here. And by the way, behind the scenes, there's a legal battle brewing with the NWA and WCW. All of the NWA references are removed by Jim Hurd until we can work it out. What'd you think of that NWA WCW, this or that discussion? Uh, a lot to do over nothing. Politics getting involved again. Uh, WCW's uh, outward vulnerability was obvious to anybody that had any business acumen. So I can see where the NWA guys thought they might create. They're, they're looking to create some money. Why else would they sue Conrad? Right. They didn't want a letter jacket. They want to check. So, uh, much to do about nothing. And I don't know, you'll, you'll tell me here in a second. I don't, I don't think anything significant ever really came of it. No, I mean, there was a lot of back and forth. Ultimately, you guys are just going to move away from the NWA completely, but it happens in 1991. Let's talk about the buy rate. When the buy rate for this show comes in, it's 160,000 and that's way down from flair and sting back at the great American bash. They had 200,000 buys there. So you would think, oh, we lost money. Not the case. Halloween havoc had a higher price tag. And as a result, based on the increased price, even with 40,000 less buys, it's still a more profitable show, but I'm sure at least on the outside folks could say, well, that means things are down and candidly over the prior year, they are down Halloween yep. havoc in 89 did 175,000 buys. And, and that was a different lineup. Obviously we had flair in the main event there versus here. He's not, he's just in a tag match. And, and I think maybe that had more to do with the way flair was used, not necessarily not being the top guy, but in a tag match, but maybe that's the thinking that if you have flair in a singles, he'll outshine sting. It's sort of damned. If you do damned, if you don't, isn't it, Jim? Yeah, a little bit. Sure is. Uh, but sting's got to raise his game. Yep. Knowing of the lay of the land, uh, and all due respect to Steve, Steve Borden. And he, 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 he needed to raise this game a little bit and keep getting better. He's very athletic. So he was going to get better, had a great aptitude for the business. So he was going to get better, but nobody gave him patience. Just the patience was basically eliminated. So, uh, but it was a, it was a tough deal. Again, my theory would have been to make flair a baby face yeah. and he become flair's ally. And then a year later all this nasty stuff we're talking about now, the black scorpion, all that stuff. And maybe a year later, it rears his ugly head. Somehow now you got flare sting. And after what all flares taught sting, it should be a hell of a match. As far as psychology and so forth. Uh, they, they 
they're, they're getting to know each other really well. So, uh, I, I've seen them have matches. I thought were really good. They were almost like an automatic pilot. They'd work together so much, uh, but they always seem to put a little twist to it and, and make it different, especially the, the, the TV matches, pay-per-views and the clashes and things. So it was, uh, it was tough, man. Sting was up against the wall. He was in almost in a, I don't say it. He's in a no win situation. The way that we were booking sting, he was never going to get over to his potential. Well, the black scorpion is going to challenge sting for a match here at clash of the champions, but he needs to be in a cage match to protect him, to allow him to do all of his magic. And of course it's announced that, uh, Dick, the bruiser will be the special guest referee mistake. Uh, of course. And then clash of the champions 13 comes around. We, we covered it in the archives, but as a reminder, little tease of why you should go listen to this, the black scorpion, uh, spins a man's head around and there's a tiger there. Yes, this is real. This is WCW 1990. And it's announced that Starcade is once again, going to be sting versus the black scorpion. This time it's a cage match. It's title versus mask. And around this same time. We stopped calling sting the NWA world heavyweight champion or just the world champion. And now we call him the WCW world champion or the world championship wrestling world champion. And, uh, I guess it's kind of weird in hindsight that sting is the last NWA champion recognized by WC by the NWA and WCW instead of Ric Flair. But, uh, I, I, I didn't know that the, the run up to Starcade, we've got sting cutting promos on Sid again. So it feels like, all right, we're going to get this scorpion business behind us. And then we're going right back to Sid. When are you told that it's going to be flair as the black scorpion at Starcade? in St. Louis in the locker room. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, I remember that card cause it's in St. Louis, right? You it said is. That. Yeah, that's right. In one of my favorite cities, uh, St. Louis, as far as just wrestling history and respect for, um, uh, Sam Muchnick and what he had meant to the business, uh, was significant in my world. Cause I'd heard about Sam Muchnick mine every day of my career from day one, getting into it for years and years. And uh, he was a power broker. I've heard him cowboy talk, you know, Bill was not going to join the NWA because he didn't want to pay the dues. And he also said, uh, the legal entanglements were potential that if he didn't get some dates on the champion cowboy, even though he wasn't a member of the NWA, there was some sort of collusion to prohibit business or something like that. <laughs> it made, it made sense. And it made sense enough to Mr. Bushnick that he went along with it because we got dates on flair in mid South all time. He got brick like coming there and cowboy always had opponents ready for him that could go. So, and, 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 and Rick like traveling out there. He had a good time. So, and I was his babysitter, which almost ruined that second marriage. It, it didn't do it any favors. I'll say that because I couldn't tell time. Uh, so I got home a little late, a couple, okay. 10 times. I don't know. It often, often, but it was fun, but that was, I was having more fun then. I promise you than what we've than all that, that this stings, uh, uh, portion of this portion of Sting's career was no fun to work there. Very frustrating. And, uh, I completely, I, I know what Shivani would say. Was he there then? 
Yeah, he came back for this. He, he came was back, back my RoboCop. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, how about that? Yeah, he uh, left Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior to come back for RoboCop and immediately regretted <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, we all regretted. It. We didn't even regret Tony coming back. We just regretted what we were trying to call because they, they they dropped those things in your lap, expecting you as a broadcaster to make some sense out of it, and at least get by without it being too ridiculous, but that was challenging to do when people's heads are swiveling and the there's wild animals being processed and all that stuff, man. So, uh, it was not good. It was not good. Conrad, you know, I take a lot of pride in what I do. I'm a lot better at doing wrestling than I am a gimmicks. Uh, I'll say that admittedly, but we, we just, we were short on wrestling and that's, and the, and we had guys on the roster that could damn sure wrestle because were they as good as they were back in their primes? Nope. But they could still go out and give you seven or eight minutes of quality time and you move on. And you notice some of those match times we discussed here with staying, unless it was Nate's 10, 12 minutes. And that's plenty. Good story. 10, 12 minutes that worked just fine. So, but that's, uh, wasn't the perception. Of, of what we were doing. So let's talk about, uh, the match here briefly, or at least the fallout in case you're wondering, we have covered Starcade 1990 flair versus sting as the black scorpion versus sting. That was grilling Jr. number 89 from December 24th, 2020. Go check that out in the archives. Um, but I do want to mention that this is interesting because, well, here's what Meltzer says. Probably around late November, with the house show situation reaching a new low, the decision was made go, to go back to Flair. Originally, the change was to occur at Starcade, with Flair wrestling as the Black Scorpion and winning the title. But Sting didn't want to put Flair over in that scenario. Sting refused since he wanted to finish the Scorpion scenario with a victory in the blowoff. As it became obvious, the company insisted on the change. Sting agreed to do it on January 11th at the Meadowlands. Since he did, Flair agreed to put Sting over as the Scorpion for Starcade. So it's a little thing, but in hindsight, would that have been better to give the Black Scorpion a run if it really was going to be Sting and try to find a creative way to finish it off? Or is it better just, man, let's just shoot this angle in the head and move on? Yeah, the latter, the latter, definitively. Let's get out of this shit. We got a chance to divest ourselves of this, uh, incredible storyline and it's not working to any large degree considering the TV time it's getting. It's not the best thing for our future, the future of the business there in staying. So if we can get out of this shit, let's do it. Let's, you know, the old fish or cut bait thing, you know, about that fish or cut bait. Well, we need to cut bait time to go. And that's what we did. And he also made flair happy. That was important. Uh, cause he got something back on the trade. He won an, a debate. He won a little argument and for guys like him that are used to steering their own boat by and large, uh, that meant a lot. So, you know, one of the old, one of the old philosophies of pro wrestling is that whatever you do, get your, your main event in the ring. And I've been involved in some situations like that. Uh, the Jarrett, uh, uh, China thing 
was kind of that way. You, you acquiesce to the guy to get the match in the ring. Then you figure out how quick he can say ideos. So that's kind of where we were with that. Well, let's talk about the match here. Meltzer would say, uh, flare pin sting and 20 minutes and 38 seconds to regain the WCW title crowd was split 50, 50 in the first eight minutes. Sting got the larger pop coming out. Although flair was obviously very much respected, When flair and sting did their yells, a spot designed to put over sting flair, got a bigger reaction for his sting got sting, got every bit of big as an initial reaction, but suddenly a lot of booze. Sting wasn't really into this match, which held it back, but it was still better than anything else on the card. The match was nowhere close to the same match. These two had in the same building in August. However, the crowd became more and more pro flair as the match went on. He's basically doing his normal routine with the pacing being slow and all action with no rest spots and the crowd's totally into it. The finish saw sting come off the top rope and hit flair and the referee. So now sting has flair pinned, but there's no ref. So sting puts flair in a small package, but again, there's no referee. When the ref finally recovers flair hits a shoulder block and fell on sting for the pin. And at the counter two, sting got his foot on the ropes, but flair scooped it off before the referee saw it three and a half stars. Rick flair is your world champion. And it happened January Meadowlands 1991 in the middle of a freaking blizzard. Do you remember this? Yeah. It's chilly. <laughs> I'm glad I took my coat. Uh, yeah, I remember this just Conrad, we had gone our group and it was almost like a group of individuals, which is what it was technically, but the, 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 that group of people that were on the booking committee went through hell, you know, poor you guys, you're making a good living. You know, you're okay. I get all that shit, but still, you got to live that life and you got to go home with it. And I was divorced at that time. And, uh, I hadn't, met, I hadn't married Jan yet. I met her there, uh, met her through WCW ironically on a flight. She was a flight attendant. Uh, but man, it was just a, a miserable place to work at that time. And man, Conrad, I love pro wrestling. I love it today. I love, I love it to more tomorrow. I try to demonstrate that on Wednesday nights, this old bastard still loves what he does. And, uh, but boy, there were times when, if I had, had had a better offer, if McMahon would have called me up, uh, I'd have figured a way to get out of a contract and go to work for them. That's how badly it was. And it was that way every frigging day, every frigging day. And that a lot of people don't understand that the sizzle and the dirt. My God, my boy, all that stuff. It was just, uh, the worst time that year, 1990 was probably one of the worst years I've had in the business since I got in it in 74. Well, it was a big year for sting because he finally wins the world title, but Meltzer summed it up like this. Realistically sting never had a chance. The fact that his return from knee surgery to win the title, a result that was hardly wrestling's best kept secret failed to sell out Baltimore was an unheeded warning sign getting a huge pop and drawing huge houses. Aren't the same thing. Still sting had to win the title on July 8th. The match was the largest grossing NWA event since flair and funk sold out Baltimore a year earlier for flair's comeback with a less legitimate injury, but the same story. 
Although pay-per-view figures are often unreliable, it appears the Flair Sting match did the most money on a pay-per-view of any NWA show. While an argument can be made that Luger and not Sting should have been given the title, to do so would have eliminated the biggest house of the year, the best pay-per-view in company history, and what should have been two solid months or so of solid house show gates for rematches, at least in theory. But to base the entire feature on the company on someone who was untested in the position of champion with the idea that there was no looking back was foolish. The decibel level of Sting's entrances and the results of a demographic survey done by people who don't know or understand the first thing about what draws money in wrestling did not mean Sting was going to be the 1990s answer to Hulk Hogan. The answer was Sting deserved a chance. But in the meantime, if for some reason it didn't work out, there was always Ric Flair. Right. What say you is, is Sting's first title run categorized as a disappointment in your mind? And if so, what could have been changed to make it more successful? Well, I agree. yes, is my answer. It was not handled well. Uh, secondly, you'd love to be able to omit the untimely patella injury. Oh yeah. That's the kneecap. Uh, if you could eliminate that, that would have solved a lot of issues. Uh, the fact that we didn't have any. It seemed to be a lack of commitment to sting because of the lack of commitment to build heels, a heel factory for him to work with. And most bookers I ever worked with would have gotten some of their best workers together to say, here, I want to have you, you're going to have a run with sting. He's it's going to be for the title. You should make a little money, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, we didn't have that. So we didn't have that table set. We weren't ready for him to be the champion. And again, we sure as shit weren't ready for the, uh, patella injury that set him on the shelf and slowed everything down. Um, so it was, it was, it was frustrating and unsuccessful based on expectations for Sting, because the sky was the limit for him. Well, we got a lot of questions here for the show. I don't know that we'll get to them all. Um, let's do one here. Andrew wants to know, did Sting have input from the WCW booking committee, or did he ever discuss what opponents he would have liked to work with? He had input. Yeah, he had input. I don't know how often it was taken, but he, had, he certainly had input Conrad without a doubt. He was a, he was a, he's been, he'd been there a few years and he was kind of tenured. And, and he knew that the company had high expectations for him. So he parlayed that influence, uh, to his betterment, which is smart. Uh, Thomas wants to know, hi, uncle Jim belated birthday wishes Sting is an icon, but back in 1991, what holes did he have in his game? If any, well, I think he, uh, his promo ability was something he had to work on and become a better communicator. And he, and he did. You know, he's a, he, and especially it's like today, you know, he's got still, he's got great timing, but he hadn't found that timing yet in his promos. So I'd say his promos were the, the most lacking element of his game. Here's another one. Uh, this one is from Kurt. Could the black scorpion have worked in general, if it wasn't Sting's first feud as champion. And if it was actually done successfully, who could they have unmasked to make it a success? Well, that's a tough question. You know, uh. They weren't going to go out and spend big money on somebody. Didn't seem like they didn't. They, we rebooted Nate in that role as we've been discussing. So I don't know that we had anybody on our roster 
that could have made the impact and as the black scorpion. That's what we did. Didn't have the, we didn't have the, the bodies on the roster. And again, uh, they were lack, they were leery of going out and investing more money. They'd invested money in a lot of talents that were making like a buck 50 or 200 and dog and Paul Orndorff, but their time was over. And, uh, they were very fortunate to get that number because, uh, not many people would have paid them that just, you know, we, we were at the bottom of our options. Do you think it could have worked if it was, um, I know this sounds crazy, but when I talked to Jim Hurd for adfreeshows.com, he admitted that he had been trying to negotiate with Randy Savage. Would that have worked if he, if he unmasked and, oh my gosh, it's, it's the macho man. Of course. Absolutely. It'd been phenomenal, but I don't know how close Randy was in leaving events. I know we know he eventually would, but, uh, Randy was, uh, uh, doing a pretty good job, making some good money there during that run and Vince loved him. And that's what Randy needed a lot. Randy needed a lot of, a lot of love to be, be honest with you. He needed to be, to feel like he was cared for and meant something because he was very insecure. And I think that's what, uh, Vince offered Randy security. I'm your guy. Look what we've done together so far. That group down there is crazy. And he, you could give about 10 illustrations a week about how crazy we were. So, uh, but Randy would have been a home run without a doubt. Interesting question here from, uh, Joe, Joe wants to know, do you think sting was the John Cena of his time? Oh, good question. Joe might've been a little bit, might've been a little bit. Remember he was force fed. Anytime you find yourself in a position as a creator and you're force feeding something down another's throat, you have to be very, very careful because if you do it too hard and it's the baby face you're working with, people start spitting him back at you. So I could see that analogy being made and, and being pretty damn on target. Way to go, Joe. Well, next week we're going to be doing something pretty fun, but before we tell you about that, I want to go to the phones. That's right. The phones We're actually letting people come on the program and ask their question to Jim Ross right here. You do it over at adfreeshows.com. And I think we've got a call right now. Let's take a listen. Hey, JR, Brad Stanton, top guy here. Um, about Sting's 90-91 career where he feuded with um, the Black Scorpion for a lot of the time. What did you think of this? And how soon did you know that it was going to be Ric Flair? Was it always going to be Ric Flair? I've heard a lot of different things. So you've told us when you knew it was Ric Flair, but overall, in hindsight, was it worth a try since it sold not, not, not the pay-per-view, but it did garner a ton of traffic television wise, the biggest audience you guys had ever had the biggest rating you ever had. That makes me think, okay, maybe it was worth a try. We just didn't have a plan for the end of this thing. It was definitely worth a try. There was something there. It was old school wrestling being reincarnated. The mass, the mysterious mass man from parts unknown. <laughs> Or as Vince would say, ha, ha, ha. uh, so <laughs> I should not be so angry. Uh, yeah, it's worth a try, man. Cause it was starting to work, but it wasn't when you book a story, if you're a screenwriter, you kind of got a pretty good idea who your characters are going to be. Right. 
And, uh, we didn't have that luxury, man. Didn't have that luxury, but it sure as hell was worth a try. It just wasn't executed worth a shit. Well, we're going to try to do something fun next week. We're going to watch the Thursday raw from February of 1997. Of course, this is Thursday raw Thursday. Uh, the very famous show where, uh, for whatever reason, Shawn Michaels lost his smile. We'll break all of that down next week. We'll talk about the rock winning his first title. We'll talk about the go home build for the final four pay-per-view just a week of chaos in the world wrestling federation. But I'll tell you what, if your life is a little chaotic, maybe it's time you just kick it old school, maybe take it low and slow. Of course, I'm talking about jrsbbq.com. It's the place to be right now. This time of year. Is it not Jim? Absolutely. Of course, people are thinking, oh, Jesus. JR is going to talk about that goddamn barbecue sauce again. <laughs> yep. Here we go. Here we go, kids. A simple deal. It's a family business, family recipes. We started it and built it from scratch. I mean, from zero or bottom zero. Uh, we had a real good holiday season. I thought anyway. And, uh, always could be better, but it's a, it's not a seasonal thing. You know, folks, the original sauce was my mom's recipe. I love the Chipotle ketchup makes a great steak sauce. Fessy you warm it up a little bit. My go-to sandwich thing. I don't eat mayo anymore. I do like that. Uh, Duke's mayo. You ever had Duke's mayo Conrad? I have pretty good. Uh, but I'm, uh, I'm doing the mustard. It's got no sugar. And I'm, I'm, uh, uh, you know, a diabetic too. So it's healthier for me. It's got great flavor. It makes Turkey have a personality because Turkey breast can look, can be mighty boring, but she'd jack it up with the mesquite or this or that, but what helps it live another life is the, uh, jalapeno honey mustard. And then of course, uh, no matter the weather, no matter what you're cooking, if it's eggs, vegetables proteins are seasoning is the cash cow. That's great. So we got some things that are good for the indoors, a lot of things and, uh, and the grill as we've been chatting about. So jrsbbq.com. check out the site, easy to locate, easy to access. And I uh, hope that you'll at least uh, give us the, uh, the, the site a try. And see what you think. I think I you're going to love it. JRsbbq.com. Don't forget. You can not only get uh, all the sauce, but you can get the rubs and the ketchups and the mustards and sooner rather than later, you're going to get the hot sauce, something for everybody. JRsbbq.com. Yep. And we've got something for everybody over at adfreeshows.com. Uh, we just recently did the Royal rumble 92 watch along with the nature boy himself. Plus you get to hear old radio shows from Jim Ross way back when in this era, in fact, that we're actually talking about, uh, the early WCW days, if you will. And don't forget there's, uh, the always opportunity to get these shows early and ad free instead of hearing it on Thursday morning with a bunch of commercials hear it whenever you would like almost as soon as we record it with no commercials, uh, it's the best value around. Go try it out. See what you think. It's adfreeshows.com. And don't forget every Wednesday night, you can hear Jim Ross, the voice of professional wrestling, doing what he does best on dynamite. Uh, it's no longer on TNT. It's a TBS affair. And yes, yeah, sir, Jim Ross on TBS. Just, uh, man, that makes sense to me. That's wrestling right there. I'm for that's, that's full circle, buddy. You know, I never dreamed 
that I'd had this opportunity with Tony Khan and AEW to get back in the game. And little did I think even after that, that would eventually go to prime time on TBS. And I got to admit to you, that's very special to me. And, uh, I still feel very blessed that that's happening. So check us out on Wednesday nights, uh, eight o'clock Eastern TBS. If this sounds right. Feels right. Wrestling on TBS in prime time. I love it. And we love you guys. Appreciate all the support. Hit the subscribe button. Tell your friends about your favorite podcast. It's every Thursday right here. It's grilling Jr. with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross and heavy on the mister, ladies and gentlemen, and we'll catch you on Wednesday night. Thanks for joining us. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round together. It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.